0: Donald Trump has chosen Neil Gorsuch, a federal appeals court judge in Denver, to replace the late conservative icon Antonin Scalia on the Supreme Court. Trump's choice is getting rave reviews among the religious right, not only because they expect Gorsuch will side with them on abortion and gay rights, but also religious freedom more broadly. I'm Sean Zeller, and this is CQ Roll Call's Week Ahead podcast. I'm here with Todd Ruger, who covers the Supreme Court for us. Todd, how has Gorsuch ruled on religious freedom in the past?
1: Well, uh, he has a pretty lo- long history with religious freedom cases, which is interesting. He just got on the bench in 2006. And when a, a president makes a pick for Supreme Court, there's not always a chance for that judge to have made an opinion right on point. But here there's, there's several cases that uh, conservatives really point to. Donald Trump had the goal of picking someone who would be anti-Roe v. Wade, the 1973 landmark case that established a right to abortion. And in this particular case, uh, Judge Gorsuch was uh, ruled twice strongly on uh, the, in that area, but not directly on abortion. It all stems back to the 2010 healthcare law that has a contraception mandate. And there were a bunch of companies, nonprofits that didn't like having to produce contraception as part of their insurance plan for their, for their employees. Uh, one of those, the most famous one now because of the case, was Hobby Lobby. And they're a for-profit company, a closely held for-profit company. And that case went through the Tenth Circuit. Gorsuch uh, wrote an opinion on that, a concurring opinion. And I think it really shows for people, A, not only what a clear thinker he is and what a clear writer he is, but, but how much he has a, a grasp on what religion means to people and why it's important and how it intersects with the law. So in his in his thing, uh, in his con- concurrence, he wrote about why this was a problem for this company, because they didn't want any part of having to be a, uh, any su- part of the supply chain for a contraception, which was against their religion. And he wrote uh, that they, they sought guidance on this issue from their religion. And he says, uh, the Green family, which owns Hobby Lobby, are among those who seek guidance from their faith on these questions. Understanding that is the key to understanding this case. And so he's got a great view of religion in the law, and that's why people think he'll be strong on abortion rights and other things.
0: So if that jurisprudence uh, extends to other things, we've heard a lot of complaints, during the Obama administration's uh, tenure, about religious freedom, about uh, bakers having to bake cakes for gay and lesbian couples getting married. Does the Hobby Lobby case extend to that sort of thing as well?
1: Well, now, now you're getting into uh, different parts of the, the Constitution, uh, different, different aspects of ruling. So he's, that, that particular case was um, about a, a law, a federal law. The Hobby Lobby case was about a federal law, religious freedom law. And um, when you're talking about bakers and baking, it, there, you've got a different kind of constitutional issue, uh, also, but it's also based in that religious religious law, because it, it's when that law clashes with the Constitution. Um, and he has other cases, though, that aren't, aren't even specifically on Christianity and baking that show how much he appreciates religion uh, or sides with religion when it comes to these clashes with the law— the, for instance, there's a, uh, a Native American prisoner who was serving life in prison for killing his two-year-old daughter. And he wanted access to a sweat lodge so he could practice his religion. And what uh, Judge Gorsuch wrote about this was, given this situation, he turned to religion to help comfort himself or to, to, to take care of his issues with being in prison for the rest of his life. And um, there's no substantial burden for the government to take him to a sweat lodge. And so he should be uh, should be allowed to do that. And so he's got, you know, not only Christian values in there, but other religious values.
0: There's a good chance that he'll hear a case eventually if he's confirmed to the Supreme Court about this executive order President Trump has issued on refugees which is controversial because a lot of people feel like it's targeted at Muslims. How does that fit in with the way he's ruled in the past? Do we know anything about where he might come down based on his rulings on similar issues in the past?
1: Well, we don't exactly. So this is one of those areas that's sort of a, a black hole in his past. There, it's uh, the the American Civil Liberties Union has brought a case, like cases across the country, on behalf of these refugees and other immigrants. The case that has gone the farthest so far is in New York, and the claims there are based on the Fifth Amendment and the equal protection part of the Fifth Amendment. And so there's no cases that he's ruled on directly on point on that. And that you know they're they're feeling in that challenge is that the executive order was substantially motivated by animus toward Muslims, and it has a, a, a more of an impact on Muslims than other religions. And so if you put it in the context of his other religious rulings, you you can see where he would say this is an important thing that uh, that shouldn't be one religion shouldn't be picked on more than another. And so you can easily see that he might side against Donald Trump, the president who picked him on one of President Trump's first big executive orders. It gets there.
0: Do we know where he is on gay rights and abortion? The two biggies.
1: Um, well, no, the abortion one, I think, is the biggest question mark because that was Donald Trump's big campaign promise. One of the signs that he is considered to be against abortion is, first of all, that that he was picked by the Trump administration. But second of all, he, he's written uh, the contraception cases. Third of all, he's written a book about um, the assisted suicide. And in this book about assisted suicide, he talks about the value of of life. Uh, and then there's also a chapter that that legal analysts point to where he talks about whether the Supreme Court should be getting into privacy rights on under the Fourteenth Amendment. And that is part of the underpinning of the Roe v. Wade decision. So while he hasn't really spoken on that, um, it you know, it's very there's a lot of signs that indicate that he would, do that. On what the about e-
0: the gay marriage piece? Well,
1: uh, let me just add to that first is that the other part part of the Roe v. Wade thing is overturning precedent and how much, how willing is he to over, go back and overturn things that the Supreme Court has already decided. Now, he's a he's a student of the Supreme Court. He had two two clerkships with two different justices. And in fact, he'll be the first justice to be sitting with, uh, if he's confirmed, to be sitting with the justice that he clerked with, Justice Kennedy. So he does have a, a respect for the institution of the Supreme Court. So maybe he'll have a more too much respect for the um, jurisprudence of the to overturn Roe v. Wade on on gay rights. Uh, there's no real clear um, decision that he has on on point on any of that.
0: Where does it go from here in terms of the confirmation process?
1: Well, the the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, Chuck Grassley, has laid out uh, sort of his vision for a schedule. And that would be about six weeks until uh, the confirmation hearing. So that would put it in the middle of March. Uh, after that, uh, they'll have a vote on it probably the next week. And then it will be up to the, the Senate to uh, to determine when to have a vote on that.
0: Now, the Democrats are under a lot of pressure from the progressives in their base to block this nomination, in large part because of how the Republicans handled President Obama's nominee for this seat, Merrick Garland. Tell me a little bit about the dilemma they're facing right now.
1: Well, they they're getting so many calls um, that it's it's record numbers for these offices. Not only about uh, Trump's immigration order that we just talked about, but now the Supreme Court. And there's a lot of energy out there in the base and among active, you know, liberal groups, interest groups, to to go pull out all the stops to block this nominee. First of all, they've got concerns about how he would rule on abortion. And then he has uh, some administrative law decisions that give them pause about how he would do, what would he do with environmental law, other things like that. So then, But second of all, they, they do feel this, this need for some revenge for what happened to Merrick Garland, who was blocked for more than 300 days, uh, never given a hearing, never giving a vote, Um, and, and so there, there's a lot of energized people pushing for them to do everything they can to block the Trump administration generally. And then this nomination specifically, on the other hand, they, uh, there's not much they can do to block it, what it looks like, because they do not have the majority in the Senate. They, um, they still have a filibuster available, which would give uh, them the ability to, if 40, one of them hung together and voted against him that would give them the ability to block his nomination from going to the senate floor for a vote however uh, there's a lot of vulnerable democrats who are up for re-election in 2018 who are in states that were won by trump so there's about 10 of those that republicans are targeting that they could pick off and try to get over that 60 vote threshold now Let's say they can't get over that 60-vote threshold, the Republicans still have a fallback position, which is to get rid of the filibuster rule for Supreme Court justices, which the Democrats did for the rest of federal judges in 2013. And so they feel like they've got um, all the the standing they need to go ahead and, and get rid of the filibuster for Supreme Court justices.
0: Might the Democrats be thinking, um, Todd, about the next Supreme Court fight? You've got three sitting justices who are in their 80s, right? And Anthony Kennedy, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and Stephen Breyer.
1: Uh, Stephen Breyer is only 78. But yes, the other two are in their 80s. And there, there is the uh, the way that people, I like to hear people say it is there, the actuarial tables suggest that there might be another opening sometime in this uh, Trump, admitted, first Trump administration here for the next four years. And... If you if you uh, look at what Neil Gorsuch, and he represents he's he's a, he's a delight for for the Republicans they and the the members of conservative legal groups they think he's great and for Democrats it's not the worst pick that Trump could have sent up there there was uh, you know among the three rumored finalists was a judge named William Pryor who has very outspoken views on Roe v Wade in the past and that would have been a much a much easier judge to just go absolutely against and, and pull out all the stops. And so they're looking at, well, if we, if we block, let's say they somehow do block Judge Gorsuch, who's the next person going to be? And, um, and this judge, you know, is respected um, generally as, as very smart, very well-trained, uh, an appellate lawyer in training. Uh, has been his almost his entire career.
0: So this isn't going to be a simple one for the Democrats. Thanks for coming on, Todd. We appreciate it. Sure. I'm Sean Zeller. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and Stitcher, and you can find all our podcasts at rollcall.com forward slash podcasts.